0: Church family, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word this morning and turn to Daniel chapter 10. In a moment, we will stand together and read that chapter as we continue here in our series through the Old Testament book of Daniel. As you find your place, let me uh, bring your attention to something that was in the connector that was handed to you as you came in uh, this morning. Starting next Sunday, uh, we will begin a... A prayer focus here in our church, praying for 21 days together before Easter. We started doing this last year. Uh, we will do this again uh, starting next Sunday. There will be opportunities for you to get the prayer guide in print version, although with some supply chain issues, our print versions are not here yet. We do anticipate they will be here later this week, so you can pick one up next uh, Sunday. These, uh, the prayer guide will also be online. They'll be posted every day to our, to our various social media platforms. Our uh, elders are recording devotions for each day according to the Scripture and leading us together uh, in prayer. Uh, as we will see in the sermon today, prayer is uh, our greatest asset in the spiritual battle that wages around us. So, church family, this is our opportunity to engage in the mission of God, both locally and around the world, as he prepares our hearts and the hearts of those who will hear the gospel this Easter, both at our church and our partnering churches uh, and in thousands and thousands of other gospel preaching churches this year. And we want to be a church that prays that God will both prepare us and prepare those uh, who he will bring to salvation uh, this Easter time. So I invite you to join with us starting next Sunday as we pray together for what God will do this Easter season. I'll invite you to stand with me now. I'm going to read the whole chapter to you. Um, 20 verses is normally where I draw the line when I read the whole thing. Well, this one's 21, but there was no really great place to stop. So I'm just going to read the whole thing. So bear with us. We believe this is the word of the Lord. This is a very interesting narrative that serves as a prelude to the final vision of the book of Daniel. In the third year "...of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belt Shazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks." On the 24th day of the first month as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of light, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves." So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sounds of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground, and behold... A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, "O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright for now I have been sent to you. (coughs) Excuse me. And behold, a hand time i start back at verse 10. And behold, a man, a hand touched me and sent me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what it is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come." When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and was mute. And behold, one, who, uh, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O oh my Lord, my reason of the vision pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me again. "'One having the appearance of a man touched me "'and strengthened me, and he said, "'O man greatly loved, fear not. "'Peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. "'And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, "'Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. "'Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? "'But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. "'And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come, "'but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth.'" There is none who contends beside me except these, uh, beside me, uh, these except Michael, your prince. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gathered body of believers, for the encouragement that we receive through witnessing baptism, spiritual rebirth, through singing praises and praying together and reading your scripture. We know, God, that where two or three are gathered, you are present. And we thank you, God, for your presence. We thank you for your instruction and your truth. Father, will you help us with this passage, we pray. God, will you engage your church in your mission, which so often is invisible to us, and yet you still invite us, God, to participate in it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There is one vision left in the book of Daniel. It comprises, really, Daniel 10, 11, and 12. I will approach this in three weeks. We have two weeks left after this in our series uh, in Daniel. Daniel chapter 10 serves as a prelude. It is an introduction. It really is narrative with Daniel describing some things he sees but not yet the vision that he receives from the angel that is sent to him. That begins in chapter 11. What is being described here in Daniel 10 is, a, is an image of what I believe is two different beings, and I'll explain that as we walk through it. But not only an image of two different spiritual beings, but what is being described for us here is the spiritual battle that rages around us, most often without us either, I, uh, without us, I being able to recognize it. Sometimes the best introduction to a sermon is just to come right out and say what the wrong responses to it will be. So if you will allow me to do that. Let me kind of rein us in for a minute because I think this is going to help us focus on the text. There, there are two extreme responses to this sermon that you may be tempted to have this morning and I want to bring you back to the middle. The first extreme response is to want to lean into every single detail that is in this and hope that I'm going to explain to you some type of angelic and demonic structure that I'm going to tell you all about the angels that appear in this text and and be able to unfold for you how it is that the angel and then for the first time in scripture, the archangel Michael being introduced to us. And how these angels, whether that's Gabriel or not, that's, that's speaking to Daniel. And Michael coming to his rescue. And then the prince of Persia representing this demonic force. And how all of this works around us. Can I just tell you, anybody that thinks they can explain that to you, is, particularly from this text, is reading far more into it than the biblical author wanted us to know. The biblical author wants us to know something, but I don't believe he wants us to know everything there is to know about the way these spiritual forces work in our world. And so, I'm going to tell us. I'm going to tell you what I think the text says, and I'm going to leave it there. So, if you're if you're hoping for some kind of right depiction of how all of this works, you're, you're going to be disappointed. So, so come back to me. The other, and I think maybe. More pressing in our day is the temptation to simply dismiss this. Because in modernity, we have given ourselves over to naturalism. And we have sought to explain away anything within the biblical text that is unnatural, that doesn't seem like it fits with what our eyes tell us is true. And this isn't a new occurrence. This has been. Really, since the Enlightenment, we've been um, the better part of three centuries now where that has been the primary response to spiritual things in the text. I recognize that in a room this size with this many people, there are very likely some skeptics. There are some, when I start talking about visions and angels and demons and spiritual battles, your eyes kind of glaze over and maybe even roll back in your head a little bit, and you think, oh, come on, foolish people that would want to believe this. Well, we need to believe that this is God's word, that God is speaking to us, that that this is a real event that happened, and it is describing real things. So if this is not a text about the structure of angels and demons, and this is also not a text that we should simply dismiss as modern people often do in our bent towards naturalism, what is it? I believe that what we are seeing here in this text is a glimpse, like so much of Daniel has been. I used that word last week as well. It is a glimpse into the spiritual world, It's not the full picture. It's probably nowhere close to the full picture. If if, if anything, this is like the 90-second preview to a three-hour movie. This is just a, a, a small picture of what is actually happening both around Daniel's life in the spiritual realm and still today around ours. We're not intended to figure all of this out or to just simply, un, simply view it as myth. We need to see what the text is saying as Daniel prepares to hear the final vision of the book. This takes place in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Cyrus, king of Persia. We're told in verse 1, this is his third year when Daniel, when all of this was revealed to Daniel. So being the final vision, all of it takes place in the third year of the Persian Empire. It was a true word, but it was within great conflict, verse 1 tells us, that Daniel narrating this, setting it up for us. And, And he understands it, but it's difficult. So what's happening in the third year of Persia that... Well, the third year of Cyrus the Great ruling over Persia, having conquered Babylon. What, where, where are we kind of in the narrative of the story of Daniel? Well, in 539 B.C., so 539 years before the birth of Jesus, roughly, okay? Jesus probably wasn't born in zero, but roughly, okay? That, that's when we experience the handwriting on the wall, right? The, the, the Babylon falls. Daniel foretells the falling of Babylon, and that very night, Babylon falls to, to Persia. In 538, remember we're counting down, not up, because this is all before Christ. In 538, Daniel receives the vision that we looked at last week, the vision of Daniel 9. And Cyrus the Great decrees the rebuilding of the temple. So what Daniel saw at the very beginning of that vision happens that very year. There is a decree that goes out that says the Jewish people can return to Israel and begin the process of rebuilding the temple that's recorded in Ezra chapter 1. It's not that year, though. Obviously, it takes a little time to get some things together. So it's in 537, the second year of Cyrus the Great, that 50,000 Jews leave Persia, Babylon, and go to Israel to restore the temple. But instead of restoring the temple immediately, they restore the sacrifice in Jerusalem. That would have happened in the fall of that year. And for several months, without doing any construction on the temple at all, the Israelites are now gathered back in Jerusalem. At least 50,000 of them are gathered back in Jerusalem. The city is in ruins. The temple is in ruins. But the sacrificial system has been restored. It's in the third year, in 536, that Daniel's fast begins. And what is, we're told in verse 4, uh, it ends, this, appear, this appearance comes 21 days after his fast begins which was the first month, which is on the Jewish calendar is the month of Nisan, which we're about to enter. Uh, And what's important about this is Daniel is about two weeks away, just speaking in general terms. He's about, when he begins this prayer and fast, this time of mourning, he is about two weeks away from the first Passover to be celebrated in Jerusalem since the exile. But we're told that Daniel is mourning here that the scene is set for us that Daniel is in mourning, praying, and fasting. Why? Because the temple has not been rebuilt, because the people of God are still in disrepair. Even though the restoration has started, it still has a long way to go. So Daniel is in some ways lamenting the status of God's people, you could also see that Daniel is some way, in some ways, heart sick, being in his 80s at this point, unable to go back to Jerusalem. Could it be that he's heartsick, that he's not there for the first Passover in Jerusalem that would come in a matter of weeks? And the first thing that we see Daniel do is praying and fasting. And with the spiritual battle being our guide today, being the context of Daniel 10. Uh, This is what we want to see. What does it mean to pray and fast in the midst of a spiritual battle? Look at verses two and three. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine, entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So from the time um, that Daniel began until the time of the beginning of this vision is three weeks, and Daniel is in mourning, he's fasting, he's praying. Now, Daniel doesn't know what is to come, he doesn't know the vision that he's going to receive, but he knows that he's received visions before. It's not as if Daniel is blind to the spiritual realities around him. This is the guy that was thrown in the lion's den and the angel of the Lord shut the lion's mouth and he was able to stay all night. This is the guy who has received visions from the Lord to interpret dreams of kings and to receive his own vision about things of the future. Daniel's not blind to the spiritual to spiritual things, and Daniel engages in the spiritual battle by prayer and fasting. It, it's just, it's, it's a work of God that on the week that we tell you, hey, we're going, to, we're going to pray for 21 days before Easter that I'm going to preach on this. I'm not forcing this on the text. It's actually what's happened. And this is Daniel's involvement in the spiritual battle. Here's what you're going to see. The only action that Daniel takes in this text, outside of Trembling and falling on his face, which is the response to what he sees. The only action that Daniel takes is to pray and to fast. It's to plead to God that he would work. And this is what we are called to do. Prayer and fasting, giving ourselves over to, beseeching God to work in ways that we can't see is how we engage in the spiritual battle. Let's think about what happens in Mark chapter 9 for a minute. In Mark chapter 9, we're told of a couple events. One of them is the transfiguration. Probably the culmination of... Uh, spiritual things in during the ministry of Jesus was the transfiguration. Not all of the disciples even got to see this. Only three of them did. They go up on top of a mountain. And while they're up on top of the mountain, Jesus brings Peter, James, and John with him. And while they're there, they get to see Jesus transfigured into all of his glory. They get a visual glimpse of the true holiness of Jesus Christ standing before them. And even prophets from the Old Testament appear. And it's such a great time. Peter's like, let's build some houses and stay here, right? Let's build some. He calls them tabernacles. We'll just build some and, and we'll live here. It's just this gigantic spiritual moment for Peter, James, and John. And, and in many ways, it correlates to what Daniel is going to see here in this text. They come down the mountain. Jesus, Peter, James, and John, because Jesus, like, building some houses is not a great idea, Peter. This is just supposed to be a glimpse, right? It was just supposed to be for a moment. They come down the mountain to find the other disciples arguing with some scribes. And they're kind of going back and forth with the scribes. And Jesus is like, what? What are you, what are you doing? Why, why are you arguing? And so then the disciples have to admit that there was a boy that was brought to them who, who was demon-possessed. And had been demon-possessed his whole life. And they tried to heal the boy and were unable to do that. And you can kind of imagine, you have to read into the text just a little bit, but you can kind of imagine, right, the scribes are like, see, I told you y'all couldn't do it. And they're like, no, we really can And here they are trying to do it, and the scribes are kind of egging them on, and they're going back and forth. And Jesus comes down from this great spiritual moment, and what happens? He, he kind of gets into this mess, right? And the father of the boy speaks up and says these words. He says, if you can heal him, do so. And Jesus looks at the father of the boy and says, if I can, all things are possible for one who believes. And so Jesus heals the boy of this demon possession. Later, after the crowd is dispersed and the scribes have gone away, the disciples come back to Jesus. I'm like, why couldn't we do it? Why were you able to do what we weren't able to do? And Jesus answers them at the end of that story in verse 29 of Mark 9. And he says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, some want to think that when he says this kind, he's talking about a specific kind of demon. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about at all. What Jesus, I believe, is describing to his, is, is describing to his disciples is, is that our role, our primary role in spiritual battle is prayer. That we recognize that God can do things that we cannot. Prayer is an essential part of how we engage in the spiritual battle around us. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're given the, the armor of God, right? And after giving us the armor of God, Paul writes, praying at all times in the spirit. So no matter what is happening around us, we should be a people dedicated to prayer because prayer is essential for how we engage in the mission of God. Because God is doing things that we can't see. Things are happening around us in our church, in our lives, in our community, in our world. Things are happening we can't see. And we can't engage in things that we can see, but we can pray. We can pray, church. So let's be a praying church. Let's be a praying people. Let's be people like Daniel that say, I'm going to go before the Lord because I know there are things that I can't do anything about, but he can. Second, we see the realities of the spiritual battle. There are three realities, really the the primary uh, section of this text, this this vision, these images that Daniel gets, tells us some things, true things about the spiritual battle that we must understand. There are three of them: The first is that Jesus transcends all others in the battle. Jesus is about to appear. Yes, I recognize this is Old Testament, but there are numerous occasions uh, where we get a glimpse of God in the Old Testament, and there are specific occasions. These are known as Christophanies, where we get a glimpse of the second person of the Trinity. And I believe this is one of them. Picking up in verse four, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the banks of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. I don't think there's any debate or any room for debate. (laughs) This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Let me say, well, wait, could it be somebody else? Well, let's listen to a description that we know is about Jesus and see how well these things line up. Because we know Revelation 1 is about Jesus. Because John, who receives the revelation, has seen Jesus, and this is how he describes him. Listen to Revelation 1, 13 through 16. And in the midst of the lampstand, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Now, no, the 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 description of this image that Daniel sees is not exactly like the description of the image that John gives that he sees. But you notice the similarities. John is borrowing from Daniel chapter 10 in his description of what he sees. This is Jesus. Now, this isn't the first time in Daniel that I believe Jesus has appeared. He appeared with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, shows up. But this is a different vision of it. That one they described and they said, it it looks like a son of man, right? Like this is, there's a fourth person in there, kind of looked normal. There is nothing normal about what Daniel sees. (laughs) There is nothing normal about this. I mean, he, he sees this bright image, man clothed in linen, right? He describes his belt. He describes his body. He describes lightning and flames and burnished bronze. And his, the words of his mouth is like a multitude. This is the, even his voice knocks people over. Who Daniel sees is Jesus. Jesus. And I think that's important for us to understand what's being described here in the spiritual battle. That there is none who can stand against the Son of Man. That Jesus transcends all others in the battle. Now that's going to become very important to us later. Because let me give you the end from kind of the middle, right? When we get discouraged in the spiritual battle, the best thing we could do is just keep our eyes on Jesus because there's none that are going to be able to stand against him. There there is none. And we're going to see the reaction of Daniel's cohorts and Daniel himself. And nobody, nobody is able to stay on their feet when they're confronted with the image of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ himself, standing there before Daniel. Now, this is a vision. And Daniel is the only one who Sees it. We're told in verse 7. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. So this isn't a, a physical presence of Jesus. This is a vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was alone and saw this great vision, and no, and, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. And then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face. In deep sleep with my face on the ground. So no one else saw it, but they felt it. Now imagine this that you're walking along the Tigris with Daniel. Now we don't know why, the Tigris, by the way, was a pretty good ways away from where just about everything else happens in the book of Daniel. But Daniel's there, we're told, and he's got these people with him. Daniel probably still in a position of government authority. He's got, you know, his minions are kind of walking with him. And all of a sudden, Daniel stops and he's staring off in the distance looking at something. And you don't know what it is because you can't see it, but you have this overwhelming need to run away and hide. (laughs) This is the power of the image of Christ in this text. The power of the image of Christ in this text is that even those who don't see him feel his presence. Because Jesus transcends all others. Jesus is above all others. And so not even seeing him, they feel him. And feeling him, they fear him. And they run and hide from him, we are told in verse 7. But look at Daniel's reaction. Left alone, seeing this great vision, he says in verse 8, no strength was left in me. My appearance changed. Fearful. Retaining no strength. So, Daniel just in awe of what he is seeing. And then what happens in verse 9? Remember, we had been told that in in verse 6, that the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And in verse 9, Daniel hears the sound of his words. And what happens? He hears the sound of his words, and he falls on his face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Here's what's being described there. The words of Jesus knocks Daniel down as if he's dead. I can't overstate this. The vision of Jesus that Daniel receives is awe-inspiring. It is terrifying. And this isn't the first time we've seen Daniel terrified. It's not the first time we've seen others in the text like mesmerized, but this is the most, this is the most detailed description we have of it in the entire book. And we've sang, I of course, having prepared this all week, I'm sitting down here and like, we're singing songs like, and I, they were good songs that actually helped with the text. Like, I want to see, you know, we talked about wanting to see, and I'm, I'm sitting over here in the front row going, do we really? <laughs> because my goodness, these guys ran and hide. Daniel, Daniel like trembles and falls down as if he's dead. I say, oh, well, that's Old Testament stuff, right? That's, that's Old Testament stuff. We're New Testament people because we have this image of Jesus, kind and gentle and lowly, which the Bible describes him as, right? But, you know, there are times that people have visions of Jesus, New Testament visions of Jesus that that turns out very similar to Daniel. One of them's in Acts chapter 9. Saul, who has been persecuting Christians, like on the war path, putting them in prison, standing by as Uh, Stephen becomes the first Christian martyr, is on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. And what happens in Daniel 9? We're told in verse 3, now as he went his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. What What happens to Saul? Saul falls on his face. When confronted with the image of Jesus, in the very same way that Daniel falls on his face when confronted with Jesus. Listen to me, church. We should stay in awe of Jesus. I think we need some Daniel 10 Jesus in our lives. So often the, the image that we have of Jesus isn't a full picture. It's just this partial picture that we've created. There are times, particularly when we are living in disobedience, particularly times when we're failing to trust God, that what we need is a Daniel 10 image, a, an Acts 9 image of Jesus, where we look and see him in his mighty holiness. And that is what Daniel sees, the image of God and church. As the spiritual battle rages around us. Let's leave our eyes transfixed on Jesus. Number two, humans are often unaware of the raging battle. Pick up in verse 10, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the word that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoke these words to me, I stood up trembling. So Daniel's still trembling, okay? He's able to stand, but he's trembling still. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have uh, come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of Persia and came to make you understand what it, what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So what, what do we see here? God is answering Daniel's prayer, even though Daniel didn't see it right away. And if we do the math on this, right, the, the, the one who is coming to Daniel now is saying, was, I was held up, I'm going to explain it at least a little bit, held up for 21 days. Well, how long has Daniel been praying? Daniel's been praying for 21 days. That's how long he's been praying. So God answers his prayer from the beginning. But the, the, the messenger doesn't come with, with the vision. Now, who is, who is this messenger? There are some that think that there's only one vision, that the vision is of Jesus, and who is talking to Daniel now is Jesus. I don't believe that because of what's described here. And even the way the text is written, it seems as if the vision of Jesus has now faded, and a messenger that Daniel is, is more accustomed to has now come back to him. He's not named here, but I believe this is the angel Gabriel. This is the same angel who has brought previous visions uh, to Daniel. It doesn't have to be Gabriel. Again, he's not named. It's an unnamed messenger. But because Daniel begins to respond a little better, right, he, he's able to stand up, still trembling. But now the vision has changed from Jesus to a messenger. And it's this messenger who touches him. And he describes what's happened to him that, that, that he, the angel, whether it's Gabriel or another one, was delayed by a demon. That's what it means when it says the prince of Persia, verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. So the prince here in this text, prince is demon. That this is this is a fallen angel, this is a spiritual force that is working against the will of God and good in our world. That is what demons are. And that's what's being described here. And you say, oh wait, it's called the prince of Persia. And so does this demon have specific control and specific authority? I don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us those things, right? And there are people that have built entire systems and structures around this and a handful of other passages. I don't think that's the best way to respond to this. I think we we can make some basic assumptions from the text that this demon is tempting uh, Cyrus the Great, that that's what he is doing. And he's trying to get Persia to not obey God because, right, what's happening in the Persian empire right now is they're allowing Jewish people to go back and restore the temple. And God said that's going to happen. And there's some demonic opposition to it. But then it gets even more interesting, right? He's, he's, he was withstood by this Uh, by the prince of the kingdom of Persia for 21 days. And then another angel comes and helps. This is the first time the angel Michael is introduced. He's named in the New Testament. He's named here in Daniel. The angel Michael, one of the chief princes. So again, prince here, not describing a a, a demonic angel, but, but describing an angel of the Lord. One of the chief princes came to help me, for I was left there with the kingdom of Persia. And came to make you understand what is is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the latter days to come. So the third thing that happens in this, uh, that's described for us in this text, is that Michael comes to help Gabriel. So let me just narrate it. Daniel prays, God answers, sends Gabriel with the message. And somehow, a a demon, the, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, resists Gabriel for three weeks. Gabriel's not able to get to Daniel. And then Michael comes and helps him, and he gets loose and comes to Daniel. That's all of the description that I can give to you because that's the description of the text. If you come to me in the live and you're like, okay, but how did Michael help him? I'm going to say, I don't know. I don't know. Who knows? Folks, this is a description of something that I don't think we're supposed to understand. You'll sleep better tonight if you'll let that get down into you. That you don't got to understand it. It's okay for us to say, I have no idea how this demon resisted Gabriel and how Michael came in freedom. I don't know, but he did it. But here's also what we need to recognize, that this is happening around us. Paul affirms this in Ephesians 6, where he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, and against the spiritual forces uh, of evil in the heavenly places. Folks, the the true enemy is not of flesh and blood. A couple of years ago, I preached Ephesians 6, a sermons online, if you'd like to go listen to it. And this is what I said in the midst of that, that, that people are not our enemy. Spiritual forces are our enemy. And it is a real enemy that is out there. It is a powerful enemy, particularly in the realm of darkness, meaning sin and keeping people in their sin. This is an unseen enemy that is waging battle both in the seen and unseen world. Much of the evil that we see in our world is very likely a result of what is happening in the spiritual realm. I wish I could explain it further for you, but I can't because the text doesn't. So here's what we know, that this spiritual battle rages around us and it is happening in ways that we won't fully understand, but we need to recognize that it is happening because it affects the way that we operate. It affects the way that we pray. It affects the way that we even live obediently to God as it rages around us because we are most often unaware. Number three, believers need divine aid to play our part in the battle. Look at verse 15, when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of, of the child of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke and I said to him who, who stood before me, O oh my Lord, my reason, uh, by reason of the vision pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. That vision of Jesus really done a number on Daniel here. And here's what we're supposed to ask, I think, that the, the point of, of describing this to us is so we'll stop and say, is Daniel going to make it? I mean, this is the, this is the moment in the, in the movie where it seems as if the hero will not survive. It seems as if Daniel is not going to survive. Is this finally going to be too much for Daniel? Verse 18, again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, oh man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Here's the good news. Daniel makes it. How does he make it? He makes it from divine aid from the Lord. And we need divine aid from the Lord. The Lord is the one who gives us strength in the spiritual battle because it, it can be somewhat frightening to recognize a spiritual battle rages around us. We don't see it, but yet we play a part in it. But know this, God has given you everything you need to be strengthened in the midst of the battle. Ephesians 12 is about who our real enemy is. The two verses around it tell us how God strengthens us. Verse 11, put on the whole whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. God equips us for battle. He is the one that provides strength. No, you can't do this on your own, but God equips you. Paul then describes the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, feet shod with the gospel of peace, a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation, a sword of the Spirit. God has given us everything we need to be strong in battle. And that's where Paul then says, praying continuously in the Spirit, always going back to understanding that we have access to God who sees all, knows all, and finally, controls all the Lord controls the outcome of the spiritual battle. Look at verses 20 and 21. Then he said, do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come, but I will tell you what is incredible uh, is, is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these, except Michael your prince. I also wanna read verse one of chapter 11 because it belongs in chapter 10, not in chapter 11. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. I, being Gabriel, the angel, strengthened him, being Michael. That Gabriel and Michael are battling against these demonic forces together. I don't know how. I don't know doing what. I just know that the scripture tells us they are. And so because they've been doing this since the first year of Darius the Mede, which is Cyrus the Great, the Bible describes him using two different names, but it's the same person. This three-year period has been a great spiritual battle. It's included the fall of Babylon, the vision of Daniel 9, the decree that the Jews can return and rebuild the temple. All of these things likely in view, that the spiritual battle that's raged unseen to Daniel's eye has affected all of these things. And the Lord is in control of all of these things. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel receiving his verse vision from the Lord to interpret a dream for a mad king, Nebuchadnezzar, who won't tell people what the dream is. God tells Daniel what the dream is and the interpretation of the dream. And Daniel in prayer says this. He said, Blessed be the name of our God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and set up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who understand. He reveals the deeps and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God, my Father, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. God is the one that is in control of the spiritual battle. God is the one as we see here in Daniel chapter 10 who is ins- who can tell what is inscribed in the book of truth because he is the one who wrote the book of truth he is the one who holds the book of truth and when God seeks to reveal something every time it's true because he's God and he is in control so what living obediently to Christ in exile requires believers to trust in him as the unseen spiritual battle rages around us as you as I read Daniel 10 this week I hope as you have read it with me this morning here's the impression that I've received man I am a really 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 small and insignificant part in this whole thing and yet God calls me to live obediently and to engage in a battle that I can't even see and so what do I have to do I have to trust in Jesus I think that's why he's the first vision because Daniel gets to see the one that we, the followers of God, should trust in. So don't make this about things that it is not. Don't try to dismiss this, but know that yes, the spiritual battle rages, but don't fixate on the battle. Fixate on what your part in the battle is and our part in the battle of the people of God is obedience, putting on the full armor of God, praying in the spirit at all times, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Some of you would have loved a more full description of the angels and demons and the battles there, but know this, if we do that, we end up focusing on what is not the most important thing. The author of Hebrews, by the way, helps us with this. Because I think there's always this temptation to focus on these lesser spiritual matters and to miss that which is most important. So in Hebrews chapter 1, we read, of the angels, he says, this is talking about angels, he makes his angels' winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, that's Jesus, he says, "'Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. "'The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. "'You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. "'Therefore, God, your God, "'has anointed you with the oil of gladness "'beyond your companions.'" And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. Uh, You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels... He has ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Listen, Gabriel, Michael, the prince of Persia, the prince of Greece that would come later, these aren't the focus of the text. The focus of the text is the glorious Jesus standing on the tigris that causes daniel to fall on his face and here's the good news his enemies have been made his footstool and we are those described in daniel are in in Hebrews 1:14, who inherit salvation, that Jesus has purchased for us salvation, that he has invited us to join in this spiritual battle through prayer and obedience to him, knowing that he has written the end from the beginning and we can trust in him with our whole hearts because he has redeemed us from the pit. And there is nothing in this in the spiritual world or the physical world that can do us harm because he is in control. Fix your eyes, my friend, on Jesus today. No matter what is happening around you, fix your eyes on Jesus. No matter how the spiritual battle is manifesting itself in your life, in our community, in our nation, or our world, fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the only one worthy of that attention. Let's pray together. Thank you God for showing us Jesus. Thank you God for showing us the reality of spiritual things and for equipping us for the battle with prayer and the armor of God. But Father, would you guard us from being so transfixed on the battle that we take our eyes off of Jesus? He is our Father. he is the one who transcends. He is the one who has made us able to see. So may we have faith in him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've never put that kind of faith in Jesus, if you, if you, if you recognize that all kind of evil is raging around you, but you don't know who, to whom to look, the answer is Jesus. At the end of the service, I'll be in the lobby with uh, one or two of our other pastors. We'd love to talk with you about how you can put faith in Jesus, about how you can follow him in obedience with your life. Together now we respond as we stand and sing.